want you to know as putting this sermon together and studying for it, this is one that's eat my lunch all week long. And uh, hopefully it'll do good for you. If it don't help no one in here, it's helped me today so you can get a glimpse of that. Well, today we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to continue our story with David. And I'm going to start out saying this. The word no is a big word. Even though it's two letters, it's a big word. It's got a powerful meaning. You know, the word no is it's um, a ready word, probably on the tongue of every parent to stop a toddler from stepping off a curb or touching a hot stove or putting their hands where they shouldn't be. Um, and you're familiar with that. In fact, the word no is often one of the first words our children learn to say because they hear it so much. Um, yet most of us, we spend our whole lives struggling not in understanding the word no, but accepting the word no. We don't like to hear the word no. And why do you suppose that is? Because most of the time, when a parent uses the word no, it's not to reprimand or to punish a child for wrongdoing. Rather, it's an act of love, usually seeking to prevent them from harm. You know, we're just trying to stop them from getting in trouble or getting hurt. But um, anyway, they don't like the word no. In fact, many times when parents say no to a child's um, most innocuous request, it's because we have something bigger or better um, in mind for our kids. We got something better to give them. Well, for the same reasons God said sometimes, He says no to His people. He says no to you and to me. Now, one of the problems that you and I have with these no's is that the why part is often left a mystery. We don't understand why told no. <clears throat> the one saying no generally wants us to accept and just trust that they said that for a reason. There's a reason behind that. Parents, when your kids, or when you say no to your kids, do any of them ever ask you why? <laughs> Probably all the time. You know, does that annoy you when they ask why? You know, of course, most parents, you know, we say things all the time that really annoy our kids. So doing some thinking back, I was thinking about some of the things that annoyed me when I was a child, and I'm sure they annoyed you when you were a child. And I must confess, first of all, it kind of made me laugh because I realized the things that annoyed me from mom and dad, I know annoys my kids. So I must annoy them a lot because I take after my mom and dad. And I'm sure you do too. Um, we say some things sometimes that, a lot of times, that annoy our kids. Here's some of the most annoying things um, our parents used to say. And see if you remember this. Um, your dad's saying, do you understand that money doesn't grow on trees? You ever heard that? How is a kid supposed to answer that? See, or as a child, you know, I thought for a while that I might have been adopted because my mom kept asking me, are you born in a barn? Or were you born in a barn? You ever heard that? One time I got enough guts to just ask her, Mom, weren't you there? <laughs> some things we say don't go over real well, kids. Just, just be careful. You know, I'm, some, I'm sure some of you might remember this one. You want me to pull this car over? 
I can tell you from firsthand experience, the kid's got to be very careful how he answers questions like that. I mean, big time. But kids, I've learned that if you're riding in a car with your dad, sit in the back seat behind him. Don't sit on the opposite side because he can reach you there. He can't quite reach you right behind the seat. Something I learned. That was a free one. You got that from, from me, okay? But I suppose probably the number one thing that parents say to their kids that just drives them nuts is, is this. Because I said so. You ever heard that one? Probably have. Well, today I want us to learn some very important lessons and practical life lessons um, from a time when God said to David, no, because I said so. Last week, we're in 2 Samuel 6, and, uh, and I think this thing's popping because the battery's going low. Can y'all hear me if I turn this off? We'll try it. This thing starts popping when the battery gets low, even though it's, it don't indicate it on here. Well, last week in 2 Samuel 6, we saw one of the greatest days in David's life was a day that God said yes. Can y'all hear me okay? All right, I'll try, to, I'll try to speak loud. By allowing David to bring the Ark of the Covenant um, to the very center of the city, uh, the capital city, God was saying yes to David and his people. You probably remember the sermon. Yes, I still love you. Yes, I still forgive you. Yes, I still accept you. And yes, my blessings will continue in your life. That was a happy time for David. He just experienced great joy during that time. Last week we saw his, his humble, intense um, worship and celebration. Um, well, in the days that followed that, David really enjoyed for the first time in his adult life um, a period of relative peace and prosperity. This was a pretty good time for David. He enjoyed domestic peace, a brief time when there was no Philistines and there was no blaspheming giants with which he had to control or he had to contend with. So this was a good time for David. For a time, David, he really got to enjoy his beautiful new palace. Now this is the scene that we're in here now. You might say that David, he relaxed in his lazy boy while he watched Gunsmoke with one hand on the remote and another hand had glass of iced tea with a lime in it. He was living the life there. But as David... As he sat there, uh, the life there, on, on the good life, um, something began to bother him. You know how it is when you're, everything's going well, but there's just something nagging at you. Well, this was going on with David, and in his, his deep gratitude for God's blessings, this time he was disturbed by a thought that produced a little tinge of guilt. And that thought was... Um, it soon birthed into a great dream by which David could honor God. He could do this again because he honored God one time before and express his own um, personal love and gratitude. And he really wanted to do that. So this brings us up to 2 Samuel in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now that really bothered God. Lynn Anderson wrote this. He said, Columbus dreamed a dream and a continent was born. He said, Edison dreamed a dream and night disappeared. Uh, Henry Ford dreamed a dream and 
He put the world on wheels. And in the singing brain between deaf ears, it was Beethoven. He dreamed his dreams and put a song in the heart of humanity. He did that. So David, um, he dreamed an awesome dream too. Now this is really important. This is a big dream. Now here's a little sidebar here about God honoring visions and dreams. Any one of you who lead anything or you're leader of something or you've studied leadership, you know this is kind of a hot topic here. Today you can go into any bookstore that you want to and the shelves are just filled with volumes on how to develop and, and how to cast visions and dreams. But this topic should be a concern to every one of us sitting here today that loves Jesus. Because Acts 2 tells us that in this era, era the church era, era, the church dispensation, the Christian dispensation, which is talking about you and I, God is going to pour out His Spirit, not just on a few prophets or select prophets, but He's going to pour out His Spirit on all people, all men and women and young and old. Acts 2.38 tells us the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who repent and are baptized. And just a few verses before that, in Acts the second chapter, verses 17, it tells us that the Spirit will cause young men to see vision and old men to dream dreams. But here's an important part about this about God honoring visions and dreams. He does that to those to when it comes to us when we are quiet and when we're listening. In other words, when we want to hear him, when we're trying to hear the still small voice of God. So David. The busy king here, he had to slow down his busy life to dream great dreams for God. But David, the king, he somehow, he found the time to dream for God. And folks, if you and I are ever going to lead anyone to anywhere worthwhile, we too must find a way to slow down our lives long enough to dream. Now, the, the leadership church I worked with, um, Central Christian Church in Wichita Falls, Texas. They were big on this. And every year they would have what they call a dream dinner. And this is almost like a Thanksgiving dinner there. I mean, they went all out because it was an all afternoon affair. We would eat a little and talk a little and eat a little and talk a little. But it was a dream dinner where everyone in the church could share their dreams of the church, where they wanted the church to go. The eldership then would take those ideas and those dreams and, and uh, with the knowledge of how mature the Christians were in that church and how much talent was there, they would kind of refine them down into um, five big dreams here. And then they would share that with the church. But what happened then, they didn't just dream it. They put a time limit on those. They put a time signature on each one. That made it a goal. It moved from a dream to a goal. And there was something that they went after that year. They were all in for that. Well, David's dream it was to build a beautiful house or a temple for the Lord. That was, it. that was his dream. The man after God's own heart said, it's not right that I should live in a, here in this palace when God's ark is in a tent. That bothered him that he was living in a place better than what God was. Um, and David, he was not happy with that situation. So energized by this new vision, you know, his, his logical reaction was that he wanted to share this idea and bounce it off of a respected friend and get some feedback here. 
You see, creative people and godly people, they often come up with great ideas that unfortunately they're not in God's will. And, you know, and that's sad. So David wanted to know, he wanted to know if this idea was really from God or was it from his own life? Well, with the pure motivation of honoring God, David calls his trusted friend and advisor, the prophet Nathan. Now, Nathan was a spiritual man who knew God intimately. And David also knew that Nathan was one of those rare kind of men of impeccable courage and integrity who always spoke the truth. And frankly, during this period in David's life, he might have been the only man uh, in David's life that would just tell him, you know, that wouldn't just tell him what he wanted to hear. This man would tell David um, the truth. Folks, we need um, friends like Nathan. You and I need to be a friend like Nathan. Well, at first pass, Nathan, he was so excited by the idea, he said, man, and he did what good friends normally do. He encouraged David. Verse 3, Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now, unfortunately, that was not a word from the Lord. That was just Nathan's opinion. And sometimes we need to understand that good friends, even godly friends, who normally give us good godly counsel are wrong. Because, folks, we're not all perfect. We're just not perfect. You see, Nathan, he meant well, but he had not yet heard from the Lord on this matter. However, that very night, he did. And starting in verse 4, we see God's response here. We'll read, we'll read from there. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are the one to build me a house um, to dwell in. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up, or up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with tents as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd, um, to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took from you the pasture, or I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can uh, have a home of, of their own and no longer be dis disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And I have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my um, people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom 
forever. Now, there's a lot of wonderful affirmation there for David. I mean, he's praised all through that. But the bottom line is God said no to David's dream. He said, no, you're not going to be the one to do that. And in 1 Chronicles um, chapter 22 and verse 8, it tells us the reason that God said no to David was that his life, he had been a man of blood. And God wanted his house to be built a man of peace. So David wasn't the one. And years later, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 7 through 9, at the temple's dedication, Solomon said this, It was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who shall be born to you, shall build the temple for my name. Now, God loves a dreamer's heart. He loves people that dream. But sometimes, like all good parents, he has other plans for us. And perhaps he's, you know, he has even greater things in mind. This is the part, you know, I mean, my dream, my goal this week was I was going to the doctor and it was going to be a simple fix. He was going to get this over with, but it was no. I was really disappointed because I prayed hard, Valerie prayed hard, and you guys had prayed hard for the same thing. And it was no. And I was just aggravated. Matter of fact, I even got a little bit angry. It's like, why? And then I'm putting this sermon together, and the Lord just kind of slapped me back into place and said, this is why. I accept that. I accept that there's something better for him to do. Well, has God ever said no to you? You know, I imagine most of you could quickly think of some selfish dream which God, He just said no. I'm sure you can. Let me ask you this. Has God ever said no to some dream that you had that you still think was consistent with His love and, and character? You know, something by which you could and you would have brought glory to His name? Has He ever said no to some of those? You know, now sometimes God says no and in just a few short weeks or a few short days or even short hours, um, we totally understand why. Sometimes when he says no, we understand pretty quickly. But folks, sometimes decades pass and it never really makes sense to us. You know, maybe you dreamed of, of marrying some godly man or woman, but they didn't dream of you. And that was pretty hurtful. They didn't dream of marrying you. And that was pretty hurtful, you know, to you at the, at the time. Maybe God sent someone better to you. Or maybe you're still all alone witnessing uh, or waiting for, for God to reveal the why to the no. Maybe you still don't understand it. Maybe you and your spouse dreamed of, of having your own children, but God said no for whatever reason. Maybe you had a career dream, but, but circumstances just didn't um, seem to work with you on that, and you never got the opportunity to do that thing that you dreamed of in a big way. Maybe you dreamed of, of achieving a level of financial affluence that would enable you and really make a difference for the church or, you know, but for reasons that you don't even understand. Um, God seems to keep you on a very short string, living hand to mouth, just getting by each week. You know, maybe you've dreamed of, of better health and energy with which you could serve the Lord. Or maybe you've prayed for healing, restoration for a loved one, and it didn't happen. 
Maybe you've dreamed of healing, some great, you know, of leading some great ministry, you know, by which you could touch just thousands of people in Jesus' name, but God never seems to open the door for you. For folks, do you know firsthand the hurt and the disappointment of realizing that God has said no? I'm sure many of you could say, yeah, that's happened to me. Well, look at David's response. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Now I want to stop right there. That is a powerful statement. What a beautiful response that was. David wasn't bitter. He didn't say, well, God, if you don't let me do what I want to do, or if you don't answer my prayer the way I want it answered, then I'm through with you. I'm done with you. David didn't say that. You know, sure, David had to be hurt. He had to be disappointed. But understand that God is God, and we're not. David, the king, you know, just like a small child sitting at his father's feet, he humbled himself before God. Now, I don't know how long he just sat there in silence. But if I were in that picture, I, I'm kind of thinking, I get the impression that, that he thought deeply um, and carefully about who God was and about who he was and about all of what God had said to him before they spoke. And then he prayed this prayer. And we'll pick it up right there in the second part of verse 18. Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David's what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and According to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. This is no, there is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with, with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a, as a people for himself? and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very, uh, as your very own forever. And, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, The Lord Almighty is God of Israel, over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Folks, 
I know I don't read that well, but if you slow down and you read that and take it to heart, we need to respond to all of God's no's in our life exactly the way David did. And here's three steps we can pull out of that. Number one, acknowledge God's sovereignty in your life. Acknowledge God's sovereignty in your life. David uses the phrase sovereign Lord seven times in this prayer. And when God says no to us, when we don't understand what's, what He's doing, and especially when we don't particularly like what He's doing, we too need to begin our conversations with Him by humbly acknowledging that He is God and we're not. We need to get that straightened out right from the beginning. You know, the very first part of David's prayer, it says, Who am I, O Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Second thing, we need to appreciate all of God's blessings in your life. Friends, when you sit down before God, count your blessings. God said no, sure. David would not be allowed to fulfill his career goals, but God had taken David from the sheep pens to the palace. There's a lot of wonderful blessings in that. And God had just promised David that he was going to bless his children for generations to come. Well, which is more important to you? When you look at that prayer, you see David's idea, um, David's goal had been to honor God all along. And that goal was going to be fulfilled. When you look at what, what God was going to do. Listen, this is so important. When God says no, we need to sit down. We need to make a list of all the things that he said yes to. And then we need to recite those things back to God, expressing genuine, heartfelt gratitude and appreciation for all you have before you whine too much. You know, when we look at the wonderful blessings, and I mean, this, is, this just killed me. Wonderful blessings, the way God has blessed me, and I'm whining because I've got back pain. I was wrong. You know, and I, I look at this, and it makes me feel ashamed sometimes. And while you're at it, while you're giving your appreciation to God, you know, thank Him for the promise of Romans 8 and verse 28, that all things work together for the good of those um, who love God and are called according to His purpose. Exercise a little faith. Give thanks. Trust Him. Even when you don't see yet how His promise is going to be fulfilled. And folks, I'm just having to trust God's sake. I trust you. This is going to be better. You know, your idea is better than mine. Number three, act in accordance with God's will for your life. I heard about a farmer who looked up in the heavens one day and he saw just plain as day, super big clouds in, in the letter form, three letters in the clouds there, and it said GPC, big letters, GPC. And he thought to himself, what on earth is God trying to tell me? What is the message here? And then it hit him like a ton of bricks. He said, go preach Christ. Well, the very next Sunday, the man, he just begged the preacher to speak to the congregation. The preacher was very reluctant to this, but the man kept on begging. So the preacher, he, he gave up his pulpit for this man, and this man shared what he had on his heart. He preached his very first gospel sermon. Well, it was absolutely horrible. 
And the people there didn't know what to say to him. It was so bad they didn't know what to say after he was finished. Except one elderly lady stopped him and said, Sir, did you ever consider that GPC might mean go preach or go plow corn? <laughs> now I said that to say this. We all have to be careful when it comes to interpreting God's will for our lives. We have to be careful about that. The facts are, we all don't get to play quarterback. We all don't get to make the winning shot in the basketball game. We all don't get to make the extra field goal that wins the game. We all don't get, get to cross that finish line first. But let me tell you something. We all can be on God's winning team. Every one of us, you see. And this is Paul's lesson for us in the church in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 where he said the body is a unit though it's made up of many parts. All of us together make one. You see, one of the heroes of history, John Adams, he wrote to his nemesis and friend Thomas Jefferson. And here's what he wrote. He said, God has called us to study war and government so that our sons might become architects and engineers and that their sons might become artists and poets. Well, such is life. And then Chuck Swindoll writes this, God does not call everyone to build temples. He calls some people to do the gutsy work in the trenches. And he calls some to represent him on foreign soil, but he doesn't call everyone. God has all kinds of creative ways that he can use us. Ways, he can, ways we cannot imagine and certainly cannot see up there around the next bend in the road. But certainly one of the hardest things to hear is that God is going to use someone else to accomplish something that you thought was your objective. And that's what David had to hear. It won't be you, David, but it'll be your son. Well, it's one thing to have a dream shattered. But it's another thing to watch someone else get to feel it. And maybe you've been there. You know, what do you do when your best friend marries the girl? Or what do you do when your neighbor gets the promotion? Or how do you handle it when your brother is asked to lead? Well, David did set the example. He acted in accordance with God's will for his life, and he served the dream as God allowed. Once you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and verse 2 through 5. It says, David gave orders to assemble the aliens living in Israel, and from among them he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for the building or for building the house of God. He provided a large mound of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the uh, fittings, and more bronze than he could more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted. For the Sidonians and the Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations for his death. David was at time, he was a weak father, but in this particular instance, David stands tall here. He turned into a very supporting father. And I can tell you firsthand what a blessing it is to have a humble and supportive father 
who doesn't care who gets the credit as long as the dream to honor God is fulfilled. David said, Lord, I know you don't want me to fulfill this dream, but I'm going to do everything you have, can allow me to do to support my son as he fulfills the dream that still is on my heart. Even though God told him he couldn't do it, God allowed him to make preparations for his son to do it. So he was still able to work toward that. Folks, is that how you would respond to God's no in your life? Got to admit, yes, you know, day before yesterday, that's not exactly the way I'd have gone to, but I have to now. And I see that's the right way. You know, do you have a servant's heart? Will you leave the head of the table to, to wash your brother's feet? You know, if you're not called to be Moses, will you be Aaron who comes alongside and helps hold his hands up? You know, will you be a genuine disciple and pray just like Jesus, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Will you do those kind of things when God says no? Folks, do you identify with David this morning? You know, has your hands, you know, are your hands just full of, of dreams for your life today? You know, did you have plans that was all thought through and all prepared that just crumbled at your feet? Are you now standing empty-handed because those dreams crumbled? Well, let me tell you something. God is, is ready to fill those empty hands whenever we're ready to lift them back up to Him because He's not through with us yet, you see. Um, to some, God says yes. To some, God says no. To some, He says wait a while. But in either case, the answer is right. In any case. And God answers, you know, sometimes they're very surprising, but they're never, ever wrong. He alone is faithful and true, and He alone knows what's best for you. Amen? Amen.